Welcome to Lunch and Unlearn. In today's episode, Bree and I continue our discussion on allyship, share with you one of our favorite resources for racial equity tools, and leave you with a specific call to action as we all strive to be more authentic allies. So let's grab some lunch and get ready to unlearn together. In the midst of a pandemic, a black revolution and a white awakening are happening. Diversity, equity, and inclusion educators Brianna Clover and Dr. Jessica Petty create brave spaces for candid conversations on race equity, focusing specifically on its intersection with ableism, sexism, sexual orientation, and gender identity, all from the unique perspective of a black woman and a white woman. Hi, I'm Dr. Jessica Petty. And I'm Brianna Clover. The author, Paul Kivel, uh, for the guidelines for being strong white allies, he describes a few basic tactics, and he talks about how every situation is different and calls for critical thinking about how to make a difference. So I wanted to share the first tactic that he suggests, which I think is so critical, which is assume racism is everywhere every day. And he goes on to say that just as economics influences everything we do, and just as gender and gender politics influence everything we do, assume that racism is affecting your daily life. And we assume this because it's true. And because a privilege of being white is the freedom to not deal with racism all the time. And I think this is just so important for us to take every every situation that we move throughout life to have that lens of recognizing and to learn to see the effect that racism has. And an example of doing this is just notice who speaks, uh, what is said, and how things are done and described. Notice who isn't present with racist talk when racist talk occurs. Another suggestion he has, which I think is great, is notice code words for race and the implications of the policies, patterns, and comments that are being expressed. The last thing I want to say to this is we often hear that adage of colorblind. I was raised not to see color when the reality is we all see skin color. Everyone we meet, we recognize whether they have a different skin color. And now we need to take on top of that what difference that makes, what different skin color makes. So I just love that first basic tactic. Assume racism is everywhere every day. And I think that's so important because, as you said, being aware of code words to me, I think when somebody says, I don't see color, they're saying, I don't want to see racism. Mm. And that's why I think this is such an important point that you're making is that as a white person, we don't have to see color and we don't have to see racism because we have that privilege. And for us to overcome that, we have to make this declaration that no, racism is everywhere and it's happening every single day around us. Yes. And until we can do that, I don't believe we can begin this work of being a true ally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, another one that really resonated with me um, is around being more aware and noticing who is the center of attention and, and specifically who is the center of power. Mm. And this is very, very important as we're doing this uh, work around allyship because Racism works by directing violence and blame towards people of color and then consolidating power and privilege away from them and giving it to white people. Mm -hmm. And and this is very deeply ingrained. And white people assume that they have this privilege to take that power. I just feel like that's so important and it connects so much to number one, because it's one thing to just recognize that racism exists. It's another thing to understand how it works. That's so important. Mm -hmm. And 
as I think about this and then I'm observing, you know, as we talk about, you know, the white awakening and all the things that are happening, um, this one in particular, I think is important to highlight because one thing that I've observed is that we are encouraging white people to go into black owned spaces, um, whether, you know, it's thought leaders, authors, um, speakers, Instagram influencers, Mm -hmm. whatever the platform is that, that resonates with people, you know, we're saying white people educate yourself, go listen to people of color, but then you often see the white people enter that space and then begin to use their voice. And I think it's so critical to emphasize that interjecting your voice is trying to take some of that power back from somebody in a space that maybe hasn't even invited you there Mm -hmm. or has not Mm -hmm. asked for your voice. And so I think it's so important that white people are aware of our natural inclination to assume our voice belongs and to take power from someone else. Centering whiteness. That's such a powerful observation, Jess. And I think this, another one that I love that connects to that too, is just understanding and learning from our history of whiteness and racism. I think we often want to assume, and even in some situations we're taught in the classroom, in school, we're, we're taught different truths, whether that's minimized, the truth is being minimized, whether it's being denied or whether it's being justified. So there Mm -hmm. is this importance of unlearning our history and noticing how racism has actually changed over time. So while, of course, we're not in slavery anymore, we have mass incarceration. Uh, So I think it's important as you know, we're entering these spaces and recognizing our positionality in these spaces that we notice how racism has changed over time and how it has subverted or resisted certain challenges. And we talk a lot about this of just understanding history and and unlearning and uh, relearning history. And then that's Mm -hmm. partly what inspired our, uh, what we call lunch and unlearn. And you hit on the positionality piece that we talked about in the last episode. And when you think about the history books um, that are in our classrooms and you look at the authors, Mm. you see a largely white influence on the history that we've been taught. And that's really important. Does that mean that it negates uh, what's being taught? It does not necessarily mean that there is no value or untruths in there, but it is one perspective. And when you don't have multiple perspectives, then it's very difficult for us to to learn within this space of trying to be a better ally if we don't have a full picture. Yes, really good connection there. Who wrote the textbooks? (laughs) It matters. It does. It matters. Yeah. I think another one that I like, uh, another basic tactic was understanding the connections between racism and economic issues and sexism and other forms of injustice. I think we could probably have a whole episode talking about intersectionality and the intersection of, for instance, race and gender, or the intersection of classism and race. So I think that's just an important as we are journeying through our unlearning to make sure that we're understanding those connections and intersectionalities. And I think that's huge um, because I know for myself personally, I'm drawn to academics. You know, I like sources and I like people that write in that space. And so even for me, as I'm trying to balance 
the voices that are coming in and teaching me, I have to be very careful that I don't only seek out voices from people of color that appeal to my academic side mm. um, or are from a similar socioeconomic class as me. And because there's commonality in there that can reinforce my biases, that even though they are a person of color and I'm a white woman, um, I could be missing a lot of things that I need to be learning and thinking about, especially as we talk about injustice. If we're all raised in the same suburbs, you know, <laughs> we don't understand what it's like to live outside of that. That's a really, really good point. And I, I can relate to that just as a Black cisgender woman, that mm-hmm. uh, I have a lot to learn about the intersection of race and LGBTQIA+. And right. just recognizing that gap in my knowledge and understanding, um, I think that you know the next step is for me to learn and to understand that connection more. And uh, so I think I just wanted to share that as we all have those biases, internal biases that prevent us from being exposed to unique, important perspectives. I think that's key. Mm-hmm. So I think something for me that um, also stood out and we're seeing this, you know, happen, uh, play out a lot in social media right now is taking a stand against injustice. And that hasn't always been popular. Mm-hmm. We, we now talk about, you know, Martin Luther King in a very positive way, but at the time, you know, he wasn't, <laughs> his popularity ratings mm-hmm. weren't so high <laughs> and taking a stand is hard. Even right now, when it seems like it's becoming more important for people to speak out. It's still scary for some people. It still feels uncomfortable. Um, Even if they believe in it, you know, believe that they're doing the right thing in their hearts, they may not have the language. They may not have support around them to do those things. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy for us to say, we're going to all come together and we're going to stand against injustice. But I think that's why we continue to see things change so slowly yeah. uh, because it's not that easy and people's c- low confidence levels or fear of making a mistake can ultimately cause them to be silent. I think that's where my personal fear is during this time is that we're going to lose some steam as people start to let the fear take over. Yeah, that's a really good point and I often wonder too Standing up against injustice requires us to give up something mm-hmm. or to release our comfort in something. And so I just, I often reflect on that just personally when I think about when I'm scared or fearful, I ask myself, is that fear rooted in the fear of giving up a comfort that I have? Is my fear rooted in um, having to give up always being right? <laughs> So just that introspection personally has really, I've been wrestling with that, if I'm being honest, uh, over the last few months, especially. I I love that, that what you said about giving up being right. Mm -hmm. And I think as, you know, living in this U.S. society and culture, we do place a high value on being right and being good. And so I think that it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, journey uh, for us to go through together as we wrestle with 
are we on the the right quote unquote right side yeah. of this and doing all that we can to be the best ally possible? No, you're exactly right. Ooh, let yeah. the journey continue. <laughs> I know, I know. So um, as we think about that and that sort of scary line between stating your beliefs and then actually living them, I'd love to talk to you more about performance allyship mm. versus being an authentic ally, because I think this is really, really key. And I think it's the key to moving from wanting something internally and then acting that out externally in your life. So Brie, can you expand on how performance allyship is showing up for you today and how you view this in our conversations? Yes. I feel like this is such a timely time to talk about this as we have all seen how corporations and and executives and leaders have responded to the lynching of George Floyd. And Mm -hmm. I think it is great to see companies speaking out in support of racial equity, but if they aren't hiring black executives or if they aren't equally paying black employees, if they aren't listening to their concerns regarding discrimination and actually putting in policies and expectations internally to help address some of those concerns, um, if they if they aren't affirming their own employees and they're only focusing on how do we get more black employees in, in our doors. Um, mm-hmm. That to me is a great example of performance allyship. It's essentially condemning racism through broad gestures, like making a big public post on LinkedIn, but continuing to enable uh, racism in their own workplaces. And so I just think that it's so important right now to make sure that we are moving beyond the performance allyship, that we are moving beyond um, outwardly speaking, but we're actually acting upon that. We're, I like how you said um, that we're actually authentically pursuing allyship for people of color. So I think it'll be interesting and I'm really hopeful that companies can move beyond the public statements and really take a critical look and interrogate their internal policies and culture uh, and, and, and really looking at, are they making race equity a part of their DNA? Are they, you know, ripping out old ideas, old policies, dismantling that and really creating inclusive places for people of color and as well as actively bringing more diversity uh, of race within their leadership, the levels of their organizations. Yeah, I think this is this is critical right now um, because a company, you know, making Juneteenth the company holiday and then not changing any of their internal policies or investigating, you know, what are the experiences of their current employees. You know, it it's so key because yeah. that's the key to change. Um, And I think it's natural that we're seeing some level of performance. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's just part of the process, but I think it's important that we challenge that and we make sure that we're asking what's next. And that reminds me too, I've, I've also seen 
companies or um, former employees and friends talking about white uh, former employees and friends saying how appreciative that they have been that their companies have created dialogue where they can learn about the experiences of people of color within their organizations. And if I may, I might want to challenge, I would like to challenge that a little bit of, of thinking how that actually might be problematic and further damaging to people of color within your organization. Especially if it's not always been a safe place uh, for them to openly challenge and openly share how they have uh, been discriminated against, whether that's um, that they've had experience of retaliation before or that their uh, experience and openness has been dismissed. So I just also wanted to challenge that a little bit to say, is that the best way to create an inclusive environment for your employees of color um, by essentially putting them on the spot and asking them to to teach and to uh, educate their white employees about their experiences. Um, And I'm not saying that every situation is that. I just think it's another way that we're critically looking at how our actions, what we say, or even what we don't say uh, impact uh, people of color in, in the workplace and in our lives. And I think that's, that's, that's the next step of this is really not assuming we have all the answers, Mm -hmm. not putting people on the spot and, and listening when appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. So you've given me a ton to think about. Um, I think I definitely have a a list here of topics (laughs) that I want to tackle with you um, over our next lunch together. So thank you so much for sharing this brave space with me today. Always a pleasure, Jess. Bree and I are learning so much from others that on each episode, we want to feature a thought leader or a resource that has been impactful to us. So today we want to highlight the racial equity tools and you can find them at racialequitytools.org. And we discuss some of the things that you've seen there, um, but specifically, What you will find is that they are tools that are designed to support individuals and groups working to achieve racial equity. They offer all sorts of amazing resources, research, tips, um, and ideas for folks like you who want to increase their own understanding and help those working towards justice at every level, whether that's in the systems, organizations, communities, or the cultures that they live in. So remember, you can check them out at racialequitytools.org. After listening to this episode, whether on your own or with your work teams, family or friends, we'd love to leave you with something to ponder. When you look around more critically at the world around you with the intention of removing blinders, you'll begin to see how racism manifests itself in your everyday world. This week, be intentional and note all the areas where you see racial inequities or recognize your own internal racial biases. Take note. As we embark on this journey of unlearning, we are so thankful that you're here. We are excited to continue unpacking this conversation around race equity and intersectionality together. Stay connected with us. Visit our website at lunchandunlearn.com and subscribe to our newsletter. You can also follow us on Instagram at lunchandunlearn and Facebook at lunchandunlearn. We hope you'll grab lunch with us again and join us for more brave conversations next time.